Am I on? Yeah, okay. Good morning, church. Wow. Good morning, church. <laughs> no, but I like the sound system. This is really awesome. Yeah, again, again big shout out, huh? That's awesome. Yeah, so as Steve mentioned, we're going to kick off this new series, and the series is um, just gratitude of heart, having a heart of gratitude, uh, giving thanks to God. Uh, for many of us uh, in our lives, that, that could be somewhat of a challenge if we really just take a look at it, but we have to just understand something that's not about, you know, you and I. It's not about us. It's not about our feelings or our emotions. It's about Jesus. Amen? Amen, church? It's about Jesus, right? And so Jesus is who we are giving thanks to. We're giving thanks to God. We're giving thanks to the Father. We're giving thanks to the Son. We're giving thanks to the Holy Spirit. We're, we're, giving, we're showing our gratitude back towards the kingdom for what the kingdom is currently doing in our lives. But I want to just open up with this, that having a heart of gratitude is also uh, you and I not even being ashamed of our past. Amen. And, and also being able to thank God about where we came from, but we just don't stop there, but also where we are currently now, but also where God has taken us into the future. So we have to understand something in that three-part, past, present, and future, that God is in the midst of all of that in, in your lives, what that looked like before. But I really got a vision when we started this off, and I just felt like the Lord is going to... Uh, put many of you, of you, if you can just picture this, on this diving board, this really high diving board, and he's going to have you lunch off of it and go into deep waters, right? right. And, and as you go into the deep waters, you're going to be so um, not even uh, concerned with the depth of where God is going to take you, amen? You're not going to be concerned with the depth. Now, some of you may be swimmers, some of you may not be swimmers, but it's not about the, the logistics of swimming. It's about what God is wanting to do in your lives. Amen? So we're going to kick this series off, and I just uh, had a heart. I wanted to just kind of just paint a picture, if I could, and just start with the story um, and reflect back on the life of Paul, the Apostle Paul, right? And if we look at Paul's life, and... Just think about this man's life, who he was before he was actually Paul. He was Saul of Tarsus, right? And one of the things about Paul is this. If we ever go back and read Acts chapter 7, um, in that text it talks about there was a young man holding the cloaks and the garments of men that was actually stoning Stephen, the first martyr Christian, to death. He was stoning him to death, and there was a young man holding the cloaks of the men. Man, that's a dark place. That just gave me a chill, right? So that's a dark place to be in. You understand? That this man, Saul, was holding the garments of men while this brother in the Lord is on his knees being stoned to death. It's amazing, man. It's amazing to think that. And that this man in Acts chapter 9, it says this about him. That Saul on his way to the Damascus to persecute and arrest believers... He was on his way to persecute and arrest believers, on his way to arrest believers. Man, is that a dark place of what? I'm, I'm talking to you now, church. Is that a dark place of what? That's an extremely dark place to be. When your heart is that, in that position, in that condition, to believe that you are actually right about what you're doing to take lives of men, women, 
And I even believe in there's some infants as well, too. I mean, I don't want to add more to this story, but I just believe that uh, along here, we're talking about families. And so the thing is, is that God met him. Jesus arrested this man on that Damascus road. And, and you're talking about just in a moment and a suddenly his life changed from being someone that operated in, in, a, in, in that spirit realm of darkness that he shifted all of a sudden to this realm of light, you know, into the kingdom of light. And his life was radically changed from that point uh, to the point where um, Saul, who then became Paul, was led to um, a house uh, of the of a person by the name of Ananias who eventually laid hands on him and prayed for him. And I'm going here to, to kind of give some other backdrop about his life because I really believe that our past cannot shame us to the point when Jesus pulls us out that we get anchored back into that thing because of uh, past lifestyles or whatever that may be. I'm not trying to say I, the Lord told me uh, something specifically, but just regarding the past, amen, because the past can be pretty dark. Just look at Scripture. The past can be dark. That's one thing I love about Scripture. It doesn't hide. It doesn't, it doesn't exclude any stories in here. I mean, it's really just out there. It's bold in our face about, you know, about this life that we have in the Word of God. Amen? So I just want to give us some, just some things about Paul, that, that this man, once he was arrested for Jesus and he began to preach the gospel, these are some things that actually Paul went through. In his ministry, Paul at one time had been shipwrecked. Amen? At one time, Paul had been put in prison, in jail, in stocks, right? It says that he was actually arrested in Ephesus during A.D. 54 through A.D. 57. Paul was uh, incarcerated in Caesarea, in AD, between A.D. 58 and A.D. 60, Paul was incarcerated again. In Rome, between A.D. 60 and A.D. 62, Paul again was incarcerated. Amen? But I want to let you know that these incarcerations were pretty extreme. It was like from one extreme to the other. I'll give you an example. That he was actually on trial, and he was really praying that he get a fair trial, right? But on the other hand... Paul was also at the, at the point of death where he could have been executed as well, too. So go figure. You, you believe in your heart that you're going to be, you, you want to have a fair trial, but on the other hand, that you can also become executed as well, too. So in the span of those eight years that I just kind of read off to you, you have to understand is Paul served seven years uh, in prison. And, and to the extreme, as I, as I just said, so while Paul was in prison, he wrote what was known, what we call the, the prison epistles. And that would be uh, Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians. And he also wrote this letter, Phalmion. Uh, and um, he had been beaten, left for dead, escaped death to degree, being lowered down in a, in a basket, uh, being lowered down on a wall, by, um, over a wall. And my favorite one is this. I want to ask some of you of this. How many of you survived the snake bite before? Uh, is there a show of hands? Have any of you ever been bitten by a snake before? Huh? Well, I have a story. I have a, when I was in college, I played baseball uh, back in Texas. And the field we played on was outdated, like back in the 20s. 
Amen. <laughs> I kid you not. There was a cemetery behind the field where we played. Funny story. There was a cemetery behind the field, and the, the grass, the weeds were so high you can barely see the tombstones, right? So they still had tombstones. And the tombstones were like pretty high. All right. So here's the thing. One of the guys on the team, he cranks one man, he, he hits this ball over the fence. And uh, back in that day, we didn't have so many baseballs. You had to jump over the fence, go get the ball, retrieve it, and bring it back and play with it again. So he went over there and got it, stuck his hand down in the weeds, pow! A snake bit him right on the hand, right? Man, I kid you not, his hand looked like a baseball glove. Right? <laughs> his hand was pretty huge. His hand was swollen to the point where we didn't even recognize him to, the, to some degree. But I just wanted to ask if you, any of you survived a snake bite, and the reason why, Paul did. To the point where men actually wanted to worship and bow down to him. But Paul, all these things that took place in his life, even being someone that was uh, in these places, in these dark places, being beaten for the gospel, that he got to this place where he began to extend this gratitude, this thanksgiving towards God. And, and as I think about that, it really begins to, to touch on my emotions a little because I have to think to some degree that Paul even reflected back and even thought about, you know what, I participated in a man's death. I participated the first martyred Christian's death by holding the cloaks of men. That's profound to me. That's mind-blowing to me that this man, then he got to a place in his life where he just had a, a mindset of, you know, to I live, you know, he, he's winning. He says, if I live, you know, I'm winning. I'm winning no matter what. No matter what. If I live, I'm winning. If I die, I'm still winning. I'm still winning. And yet, this man had begun to lay his life down where he can give thanks to God. And if you would, can you turn to Philippians chapter 1, please? Philippians 1. Philippians chapter 1. And I want to just pick up in verse 3. And Paul says this to this amazing church that really began to just take, just have his best interest in mind that was extremely generous to him. And you got to just give you a little backdrop. During this time frame when he wrote this particular letter to the Philippians, Paul is in jail. He's in jail. He, he's, he, he actually established, helped establish this church, and he was one of the early pioneers, if you ever go back and look at Acts 16. Now, Paul, and during that time, in Acts 16, some of the other companions that were along with him, Silas, Timothy, and also Luke, who went into Philippi to help him uh, get this church off the ground. But now we're talking about, this is 12 years later, and he says this, I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began 
a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And Paul got to a place where his mind was so made up, no matter where he was, he's going to stand firm in this gospel that he's preaching. Amen. He's going to rejoice no matter what. He's going to be filled with the joy of God no matter what. That God's peace had, had come upon him to the point where it began to transcend all understanding. Meaning that, in other words, that his heart was so guarded to protect this gospel, but also allow the joy of the Lord to still live in him where his thanksgiving was going to produce that joy out of the gratitude of heart towards God. Amen. Does that make sense? Does that make sense, church? And, and I want to just kind of stretch this a little bit because how many of us face situations and circumstances where either we, we, our joy tank is just absolutely empty or we have no joy expression at all where we can give glory back to God, but we can be extremely grateful and thankful for where God has taken us, as I said earlier, but where he has us now, but where he's taken us in the future. How many of us allow, whatever that situation may be, begin to dominate and control your spirit until the point where you can't give thanks back to God? Is that a real thing? Is that a real thing, church? You know, it's a real thing to the point where the power of God, and I'm going to say this, that the power of God can't even begin to move in your life. Well, the, the power of God is actually extinguished, and it doesn't even, it's not even a reality where you can move forward. But in your praise, in your thanksgiving, in your gratitude towards God, what I'm believing, as I said earlier about jumping in the deep, I'm believing there's a shift that's going to take place here with many of us and many of you where God is going to begin to ignite in you that spirit is just no matter what the situation looks like. Amen. No matter what it looks like. No matter what it looks like, that the fire of God will, uh, will just burn inside your spirit and that you're going to just give thanks to God no matter where you are, no matter what God is doing, whether if you have or you have or if you, if you don't have it, whatever it is, that God is going to do a work in us. And so when you have a gratitude thanksgiving, I believe what it does, it begins to demonstrate something in us. If you could, can you turn to Galatians chapter 5? Galatians 5.22. I just believe that what begins to produce in our life as a result of you and I giving thanks to God is actually uh, some, real key, some real key attributes of God. I believe that if we take a look at that, because there's, there's this joy that comes upon you out of your thanksgiving, out of your heart of gratitude, that your spirit becomes conditioned, your mind becomes washed and renewed. If you remember in that scripture in Romans 12, where Paul talks about being transformed by the renewing of your mind, that when the word of God begins to get in you and you begin to, to, to repeat God's word, but when you begin to go before the Lord in your gratitude, your thanksgiving, that there's a mind renewal that begins to take place and shift us out of this place of what we actually see and take us into a whole nother realm with God. Amen? Amen. But so Galatians 5 says this, and it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, and I just want to name the fruits of the Spirit. The fruits are love, joy, peace, patience, 
kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and being self-controlled. Being self-controlled. Being self-controlled. How many of you desire these fruits? How many of you desire these fruits to be a reality to you? Are they a reality to you? If they're not a reality to you, and it's very simple, it just starts back with redirecting our prayers, our thanksgiving towards God. Simply put, simply put, just being redirected, positioning ourselves, posturing ourselves in that place where God can meet us. I just want to touch on this thing about self-control. You want to exercise some godly discipline in your life. Allow yourself to exercise this thing, this thing of self-control. This is probably something that is not talked about or discussed too much as far as like being one of the fruits of the Spirit. But when we're talking about being self-controlled, we're talking about that your, your flesh is surrendering. It's surrendering to the Spirit of God. And you become... You become, you become someone that avoids distraction, that distractions doesn't consume you. The wild ideas, the vain imaginations, the lust of the, fe- the, lust of the flesh, the abuses, making wise decisions uh, from the spirit versus our flesh. Does that make sense? Making wise decisions, making godly decisions, being self-controlled, being disciplined uh, as we give our praise back to God as we thank him out of a heart of gratitude, we begin to uh, become conditioned to uh, receive the word in such a way when we, there's a reciprocation that comes back that God begins to give us a wisdom. And, and I believe this, that the, the wisdom that we attain from God is that um, those things that are in heaven become a reality to us on earth, but we know how to be able to distribute it in such a way where it comes out in the knowledge of God. Amen. Who desires that? Who desires to have, have their prayer life to be in such a place that we can live in a revelation, the wisdom, and the knowledge of God? These fruits that have been given to us are attainable. They are, they are alive today. They are active. They are wanting to ignite something in you. They're, they're, they're what we call God's like these are in God's treasure chest for us, but, we're, but we can have it. We can, we're able to have access to it. It's not something that's far away that God is allowing us to tap into those sources that he has given us as the church. Amen? Amen. So this thing about prayers of gratitude, thanksgiving, an example of, of many of you, I want to ask this, this thing about about our gratitude and our thanksgiving towards God. How many of you like to exercise? How many of you like working out? I'm not going to ask you why, all right? <laughs> we all have our own reasons why we don't like it, right? But this is a simple exercise, very simple exercise. If you have a, a pen and paper or if you have your phone, I want you to write down 10 things that you can give God thanks for, that you can give God thanks for. Just write down 10 things. Ten things.
Now, as you write those 10 things down, I want you to write this down. What are 10 things that may hinder you or hinder your praise? Or what are the things? It may not be 10. It may be less than that, and that's fine. But what are some of the things that hinders your praise? It hinders you from giving thanks to God. Amen. That's your exercise. I didn't say anything about let's run around the church 10 times. I didn't say that. I didn't say anything about let's run up, let's run down the stairs, run up and down the stairs. That was something I used to do. I used to hate that when I played sports. I hate running bleaches. Oh, my God. I hate running bleaches. But that was part of conditioning by being in shape, exercising, right? So we didn't ask, we didn't ask anyone to do that. So that was your exercise right there. So I want to read Psalms. Uh, 100 for us. It says, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. So when we give thanks to God, understand this, that we actually have an opportunity to enter into his presence. We're in his presence now, but we can go into his presence, especially in areas where we may feel a bit challenged about going into, especially if we're talking about uh, giving thanks to God about ourselves, others, or those around us, whatever it may be, uh, but that the Lord will allow you to enter into his presence. And it says this again, it says that as you enter the gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise, give thanks to him and praise his name. Amen. What a privilege, huh? So as believers, the privilege of being in the presence of God, the presence of God is vital for you and I. Because it's not just for us. It also is for those around us to witness as well, too. We, we need to be a people who can cultivate those things around us and change those things and be able to breathe life into situations around us. And so in that area of your, of your prayer life, how we, give, how we give our gratitude, our thanks back to God, being thankful to what God is doing in us, that it begins to just strip you down of really just some fleshly things that can really begin to hold us back. And some of those things that when we begin to intercede on the behalf of others in this particular area, whether if it's your bosses, your co-workers, or your neighbors, or even to get a little bit closer, some of your spouses or your children, but you begin to thank God where they are and that they are yours and that God has given them to you, and that you have an opportunity to speak life into them, and that your praise and your, your, uh, your thanksgiving back towards God will begin to change your heart condition where you begin to become this light in this extremely, it could be a dark place or it may not be, but you can become this light in that place where it can actually change someone else's life as a result of what you have, got, have given yourself to. Amen. Does that make sense? Good. 
So the question I want to ask, and as I mentioned, who are your neighbors? Who are those around you? You can begin to list those and name those who, who your neighbors are. Your, as I mentioned, your coworkers. Some of you may have business partnerships. It may go a little bit deeper than that. Whoever it is, your neighbors are your neighbors. They're, they are those that God have, have uh, assigned, in a sense, have placed around you that are folks that God has given for opportunities in your own life as well. The thing about giving thanks to God, when we look at just back in Scripture, this thing with the nation of Israel, and when the children of Israel came out of, the, came out of Egypt, they were actually destined to cross the promised land, that generation that came out. But because of what took place, because of murmuring, complaining, and being extremely ungrateful about where they are, allowed them to, to live in a place of more deficit, more so than in living in the, in living, being prosperous in God. So they lived in this place of not enough. And then they lived in this place of just enough. And then as that generation crossed and went through, they lived in a place of more than enough. But the, ones, the first generation actually didn't, some of those didn't go over there, so go into that promised land. As a matter of fact, many of them died, they died off, and the, the second generation coming up actually went over into the promised land. But the thing I wanted to, to mention to you is this about murmuring, about complaining, that complaining is a seed that produces after its own kind. And after that seed begins to produce, it begins to cultivate, it begins to develop around you as well too. So the opposite of your thanksgiving is this thing of just negativity. How many of you like working in negative environments? How many of you desire negative environments in your home? How many of you desire negative environments in your church? The church should never be a vehicle that even entertains negative environments. This should be a sanctuary, a, a place of worship where those who've been coming here for, Lord knows how long you've been coming, to those who come here for the first time, they should be able to embrace the love of God as soon as they walk in. Amen? All right. I want you to turn to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians 2, verse 6 through 7. Colossians 2, verse 6 through 7. And Paul says this, he says, So then just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thanksgiving. So what Paul does, he uses three metaphors here. And, and the first is this thing of walk. Or in some of your texts it may say live. But the thing about walking and, and living, as he's referring to, this has to do with more of an ethical conduct, behavior, appropriate for Christ. 
And, and this represents a continuous work in our lives, that there's a, a code of conduct in a sense, um, not from the world, but according to Jesus, the pattern of Jesus that we are to function and operate in, especially how we treat one another. All right. So in that, I honestly believe that we are to be refreshed, be revived, be refilled in God's spirit and the Holy Spirit daily, not just a one-off. Now, I use this thing about walking and living because walking and living daily has to do with you and I being renewed each day in God's spirit. How can I give thanks to God if I'm not being refreshed? If it's just a ritual or a practice, then actually I'm just being, I'm having more of a religious mindset. I'm not actually uh, being trustworthy what God has given me. Does that make sense? Amen. <laughs> so, our example of gratitude towards God, our deep appreciation for our salvation, but we just don't stop there, as I was mentioning. So, when Paul talks about being built up, the word also describes a continuous action in that metaphor. As we are rooted once for all, but we must grow continuously, or like a building with having a solid foundation, Christians need to keep on building with solid materials in order to be strong. So we, we want to continue to grow, as Paul talks about this thing being built up, that we're not just stopping because we, we say yes to Jesus, but there's a, a process that still takes place in us. And so then he says, strengthen in the faith also translates to uh, being established in the faith. And he says this, and that's more of a legal term that's often used to bind a contract or an agreement. So that's saying we have an agreement here, this thing about um, being strengthened in the faith. And so you and I are being taught daily. We're being taught in his word. As we read the word, uh, we're giving ourselves to the word, that we're giving ourselves to, to the spirit of God to be taught. And so when you are taught, you are able to stand firm in the truth that God has given you. Amen? When you stand firm, you're not all over the place. You're not someone, if someone came with you false doctrine, you're not uh, this thing that's just blowing all over and then you, you become susceptible to what other teachings, other, other folks may be telling you, that you are standing firm in what God has told you. So in all three metaphors result in thanksgiving. And true understanding what Christ has done and continue doing in our lives should lead to a response of gratitude and thanksgiving. That's what the scripture tells us. It says this. It says, because we are rooted, it says this, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thanksgiving thankfulness. So there's an overflow of thankfulness that, that should come out of our mouths as a result of you and I growing continuously, walking, living, being rooted in God's Word. See, when you and I are rooted in His Word, those things we mentioned about the fruits of the Spirit, the roots are actually going so down deep that you are receiving the nourishments that God is, being, is, is injecting in you. And so that injection should be something that takes place in you daily. There's a daily injection. Yesterday's uh, infield was yesterday's, as I mentioned, right? Yesterday was for yesterday, but today is for today. 
And so your thanksgiving is, is the same thing. And it's continuous. It's ongoing. That we constantly, we flow in it until it becomes an overflow who God created us to be. Jesus at all times in our lives should always be in that area. He should always. There's no negotiating. Jesus should always be the center in our lives, no matter what. And because we have Jesus in our lives and, and, and we'll allow the Spirit of God to, we begin to have the Spirit of God in us as a result, as a result of saying yes to Jesus. There's a renewal that takes place, even how we manage those things, affairs that are a little bit challenging for us, like challenging relationships. And where I'm going in this is that if you have business relationships, as I mentioned, relationships with your kids, your family members, whatever it may be, there should be a peace that <laughs> in you that will surpass all understanding that will allow you to conduct yourself in a manner that will honor Jesus. Will honor Jesus. And by you being able to give thanks to God in these areas, that I really believe this, that it produces a Christian maturity that will begin to set you apart for greater works of service. Greater works of service. Colossians 3.15 says this, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since members of one body were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. If we, the church, accept Jesus and we begin to accept and embrace what, how Jesus is, is downloading in us through the Holy Spirit, how to conduct ourselves and how we treat others, how we intercede on the behalf of others, or can we do this? Those that we love or we have disagreements with, different fractions of many kinds, different trials of many kinds, if we can go before the mercy seat of the Lord in our time of giving thanks for that person or for that situation. Maybe it's your job. Thank the Lord that you have a job. Maybe it's your home. Thank the Lord that you have a home. If it's, your, if it's a, a vehicle that keeps breaking down, well, praise God, man. I mean, whatever it is, you just keep giving God thanks and praise. And I just want to share this with you, church. I know I've been in a dark place before in my own personal life uh, and also been in a very hurtful place, uh, a place where uh, I didn't have any understanding of how I was going to get out of it. And I've shared the testimony before, but I woke up on a Sunday morning, man, and I found my wife next to me, passed away in the middle of the night from a heart attack. That's a, that's a, that is a place. That is a place. Some of you have places. I'm not, I don't want to esteem my place more than any of you, but I, I just want you to know that I woke up to that on a Sunday morning. And I want to tell you, before the Lord, I, 
honestly, I do not have a picture or a vision of what that looked like. And I believe the Lord had guarded me to the point where I don't revert back. I'm not, I'm not hurt, but I'm healed. And at the same time, I'm healed, but, you know, I recognize what took place. I, I, I know what took place, but it doesn't consume me to a point where I still live in that place. Does that, does that make sense? You know, that can look like something different for everyone. You know, divorce, that can look like something totally different for you, where you may not be healed or restored, and, and your heart is still in that place of, of pain, and, and pain is real. And no one's saying that you're not going to ever feel pain. Pain is real. Uh, the Bible's clear about there's trials of many kinds. But Jesus is not wanting you to stay there in that place. That Jesus is wanting to fast forward you and, it, and take you into another place. So I want to extend something out to you because I know something was given back to me. And I remember when I was in that place and folks' hearts are in the right places. And when, when you lose someone, people mean well. And they say things as, hey, if there's anything I can do, just let me know. But the reality is everyone has to go back to their destination. They have to go back to their own lives, right? Okay. So there was a one-on-one time between God and myself, and I was in a real hurtful place. And he just told me, Kenneth, I want you to sit down. And I was in the bedroom of my apartment, just crying, brokenhearted that whole day and days before that, even days after that. But he sat me down, and he said, I want you to feel this. And I was like, all right, here I am. And it felt like a dagger exploded right through my chest. Boom! And I just remember, oh, take this out. I can't take it. It was, I mean, that was pretty painful. And the Lord spoke profoundly to me. He says, you are healed. And I can honestly tell you from that, from being in a place of being brokenhearted, immediately, I began to thank God right where I was and in giving thanks and praise back to him. He then began to allow men and women around me to come underneath me, walk with me, side by side, surrounding me. It's almost like if you think of an athlete with an injury and you're limping off the field and once he gets on the sideline, he might get a rub down or whatever it may be but he's able to go back out on the field. That's what God allowed me to experience. So I want to just extend prayer for you to all of you. Anyone who's open, who desires to be healed. Linton gave an amazing word this morning about, about just uh, that passage out of, out of Samuel. But he also said something about healing. If you are Desiring to be healed this morning. All right, that was the dagger. (laughs) That was the explosion I was talking about. (laughs) See, you felt it. (laughs) But if you desire to be healed, how many of you desire to, just hear what I'm saying, how many of you desire to be healed this morning? How many of you desire to be healed? 
How many of you desire to be healed? Come on. Church, I'm talking to you now. Let's wake up. How many of you desire to be healed? How many of you desire to be healed? No one? Yeah? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I want to be healed. Yeah. You want to be healed this morning. I'm going to ask you to stand up. And you're not standing up to, so we can recognize you. I want you to stand. And I'm going to ask, Steve, can we pray for folks? And uh, Annette, can we pray for folks? Can you pray as well too? Eric, Marty, can you guys pray? And just go around. Let's just lay hands on folks. Can we have a little music in the back, please? I'm not going to pray right now because I want those who are around you to pray and I want you to hear what they are praying.